You're listening to Matt Walsh On Demand. The experts at Web.com want to build your business a successful website for free. Plus, we'll promote it on all the major search engines. If after 30 days you're happy, we'll continue to provide promotion, hosting, support, and maintenance, all for one low monthly fee. If not, cancel and pay nothing. Call right now and you'll also get a free .com or .net domain name for your new website, powered by VeriSign, the world's leading domain name provider. Call 800-215-0465. That's 800-215-0465. Well, as you know, I criticize uh, Donald Trump when he deserves it. And in my opinion, he often deserves it. You know, people want me to be a team player and all that, but I don't see being a team player as my obligation. I think my obligation is just to tell the truth as I see it, wherever it may lead. And, um, and, but you find that, you know, despite what people say, here's, here's what I've discovered that despite what people say, almost everyone wants a biased media. That's what almost everybody wants, period. They want a biased media. That's there's, there's a, in fact, a reason why the media is so biased. It's on top of each person in the media has their own, uh, you know, ideological, prejudices that they bring to the table but on top of that it's also a business and if there was truly if there was truly a a real desire among uh the populace among the majority if there was truly a a real desire for an objective media then an objective media would exist for business reasons but that's not what people actually want they want a biased media but they just want it biased in their favor Hardly anybody wants objectivity, and if they get objectivity, they attack. They attack the objectivity while saying that what they want is objectivity. Now, now don't get me wrong. I'm not objective in the sense that I do have an opinion and I share it. I don't pretend to be a reporter or a journalist, so, um, so it, my opinions are out in the open. So this is my opinion. I, it's very clear that I'm sharing my perspective on things, and so that's very different than someone who is a reporter or ju- journalist disguising an opinion, making it appear to be uh, an objective fact. I'm an opinion guy, a commentary guy. It's what I do. But I try to be objective only in the sense of delivering what I see as the truth, irrespective of how convenient that truth may be to anyone who hears it. Objective in that sense. Or I'm just saying, look, this is the way I see it and I'm not, there's no strategy behind it. I'm not trying to be on anybody's team. This is just what it is. In my opinion, you can disagree. You can disagree, but one thing you can never say, one thing you can never say is you you can never question my sincerity. You can disagree with what I'm saying. You can attack me for saying it, but you can never say, well, I don't even think you believe that. And it's very important for me. It's just, it's one of the things that I've always told myself ever since I got into this. It's very important for me um, that I maintain that. You know, I, I really don't care what anyone says about me, but I don't want anyone to question my sincerity. And that's the most important thing is I, I want people to know I'm saying what I believe because I believe it. And you could think it's the worst thing in the world. I'm a horrible person, but at least I'm telling you what I actually believe. Here's the good part though of that objectivity when it comes to... um 
this election. You know that I'll criticize Trump. So when I don't criticize him, when I defend him, you know that what I'm saying in his defense is sincere. I could still be wrong, but it's at least sincere. So I feel like, uh, and I don't want this to come off in an arrogant way, but when I defend Trump, it's almost, it's, it's more worth listening to than when even someone like Sean Hannity defends him. And the only reason is, not because I'm saying I'm better or smarter, but only because the Sean Hannity's of the world, they defend Trump no matter what, no matter what he says, no matter what he does, they're going to, uh, they're going to defend him. It doesn't matter. They're going to defend him. So why even listen at that point? You, you know what it, it's just whatever the controversy is, they're going to defend him and that's all there is to it. So it doesn't it's like having a conversation with with Siri on your iPhone. All the responses are programmed in. Everything they say is programmed in. And once you cycled through all the responses, there's nothing left to say. There's no reason to listen. So at the very least, when you have someone who's sincere, there's at least a reason to listen because you know that at least they believe what they're saying. And there's a possibility that there could be some insight there because this is actually coming from their heart as opposed to them just reading talking points from a script, which is all that you know someone like Sean Hannity uh, does or has ever done in his entire career. Now, with all that said, I don't think Trump deserves a criticism over this tax thing. You know, as the story goes, he lost a billion dollars back in 95 or 96, according to uh, leaked tax returns. And that means that he probably didn't have to pay taxes for the next 20 years because he was operating at a loss. Now, if he did lose a billion dollars in a year, that's one thing. Some, Some very serious questions can be raised about his ability as a leader and a manager. But as far as the tax thing goes, I couldn't care less. The accusation is that Trump legally minimized his tax burden. That's illegal. No one is accusing him of doing anything illegal here. He legally minimized his tax burden. He took advantage of the laws as they exist. He followed the law, took advantage of it. What's wrong with that? Who wouldn't avoid federal income taxes if they had the option to? Only a, a, a magnificent idiot would actually pay federal income taxes when they don't have to. That's just an incredible, it's incredible that anyone would claim otherwise. So on this topic, you you could argue about the law, say the law should be changed, but to blame Trump for what was he supposed to do? Was he supposed to, uh, realizing that he doesn't have to pay federal income tax for the next 20 years, was he supposed to just pay it anyway? Billions of dollars in taxes he just paid to the gut, like a charity, just give to the government as a charity. Is that what he was supposed to do? I guess that's what people are saying he should have done. But would anyone actually do that? In fact, considering the government takes our money to do awful things um, like murder children, among other atrocities, uh, to fund the murder of children, Planned Parenthood, a serious argument could be made in defense of those who even illegally avoid taxes. Though I wouldn't recommend that strategy. But if you legally avoid them, I cannot even fathom how anyone could possibly criticize you. What, what really is the, the charge here? Are people suggesting that Donald Trump should have handed the government billions of dollars that he didn't legally owe out of a sense of civic duty? Because if that's the case, let's not be absurd. If you want to fulfill your civic and Christian duty, you take your money, you give some to the less fortunate. Um, 
But giving it to the government when you don't even owe it only ensures that it'll be squandered and spent on various, you know, misadventures and even some outright evils. So I'm with Trump on this one. And, and, and if I could legally get out of paying taxes for 20 years, I would do it in a heartbeat without even thinking about it. More money for my family, more money uh, that I can give to others of my own free will, less money for the government to waste. That's a win, 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 a win, win, win right down the line. The only person who loses is the government. The only the only entity losing is the government. And as far as I'm concerned, the federal government deserves to lose. This is an area where liberals are completely out of touch. There are many areas like that, but but this especially. It's like they jump all over someone avoiding taxes legally and they say, can you believe it that this, this person deprived the IRS of his own money? Of course, brilliantly playing on the deep abiding love most Americans have for the IRS, right? Well... <laughs> We all get so defensive when somebody uh, offends the IRS, don't we? We all get very, we get very defensive. We're very defensive of our IRS, just like we're very defensive of our uh, DMV, aren't we? We'll defend the, the honor of the IRS and the DMV if anyone b- besmirches it. How dare you? How dare you, Donald Trump, sir? The people of the IRS are gentlemen, and you owe them your money. Is that how it goes? No, that actually isn't how it goes, is it? We don't love the IRS. We hate the IRS. We hate the IRS. We hate it. it. There is no, there are very few groups on planet Earth that we hate more than the IRS. For me, you know, the only groups that I hate more than the IRS would be uh, ISIS and Planned Parenthood. Those are the only two. And then, and then the IRS is number three. That, that's how most people feel. We hate how the government wastes our money. And uh, when we hear about someone not paying taxes, all we can think is, hey, good for them. If only I could figure out how to do it. Personally, I, I want to take advantage, like I said, of every loophole that I can. And, and I really hate the term loophole. It's a loophole. You know, someone follows the law, keeps a portion of their own money, and we're saying they escaped through a loophole. It's like a loophole. The only reason that we all have any of our own money is because of a loophole. We all exploit it. I go and work for a living and I come back and I bring back a paycheck and someone looks at my paycheck and says, what, what kind of loophole allowed you to get that? No, it's not a loophole. It's called, it's called uh, being a free person existing in America and I, and I make money and I keep it. That's not a loophole. That's the way it's supposed to work. It's more like the IRS exploits loopholes to take money from us. They, they, they make up all these other new laws and regulations and taxes and everything. And that's what the government does. So it's more like they're inventing loopholes, if you would like, uh, in order to take more money that they shouldn't be taking. And that's the whole reason why I personally pay an accountant. Um, I, I, I want someone to go, I say, go in and, and save me every dime that you can. I do not want the IRS to take a single penny that it's not owed legally. Not a single penny. And if it did take a single penny from me that I did not legally owe, then I want it back. I want it back. The IRS is the only, I wouldn't do that to anybody else. You know, I, I, uh, I go to the store and I buy, um, I buy some things and, and the total go, comes to, comes to 1998 and I give them a 20. And usually I don't feel like waiting for the two pennies. I'll say, just keep the change. I don't feel like waiting for the two pennies. If the pizza man comes and, uh, the total is, you know, 1545, I'll give him a 20. I say, keep the change. 
That's four dollars and fifty-five cents. I, I let him keep. I would do. I'll do that with anybody except the IRS is the only entity on the planet where I'm going to say, "Give me back my pennies." I don't even want you to have a penny of mine if I don't. If 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 I have a choice in the matter. And again, this is how most Americans feel. I would never, realizing that I owe a certain amount, actually pay more just to be a good sport. And I don't think anyone would ever do that. Would nobody would intentionally give IRS the IRS more money than they're legally obligated to pay. Nobody would do that. Not a single person on earth on earth. And if anyone did, I'd say they should be committed because that's the action of an insane person. That's the action of a person who is mentally unbalanced. It is possible. You can um, write a check to the IRS and just, if you send a check to the IRS, trust me, they'll take it. They, they'll, 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 They'll accept the money. It doesn't matter. You just you send them a check anytime, and they'll take it. And they'll and they'll they won't ask. They won't look a gift horse in the mouth. They'll just put it in the in their coffers. Um, so if you really feel strongly about it, then you could just give money to the IRS anytime. But it's very it's surprising, isn't it, that nobody actually does that? Look, let's uh, there there are a few things about taxes that we should remember. Okay, first of all. Our duty, our obligation, as we've been talking about, is to pay taxes um, according to what the law says. And that obligation begins and ends with the law. If the law does not require us to pay them, that's it. There is no deeper calling that should compel us to pay anyway. It doesn't exist. Taxes are a matter of law. If the law says you don't have to pay, then you don't have to pay. And there are people who, uh, I mean, forget about the billionaires. There are plenty of people on the lower end of the spectrum who pay no income tax. And, you know, I might say, yeah, I think that they should have to pay an income tax. You know, I, I do think they should have to pay an income tax. But I don't blame them for not paying it. That's, and when it comes down to it, although, you know, I, I think that everyone should pay an income tax, uh, not as much as we all pay, but everyone should pay. Just as just so that I'm not burdened to, to to pick up the slack and pay even more of my own that should go to my family, I do think that. But at the end of the day, I also recognize that uh, we're not going to solve our problems in America by giving the government more money. That's not the problem that we have in America. It's it's not that the government doesn't have you know doesn't have access to enough money. So although I say. Yeah, everyone should, if anyone has to pay an income tax, everyone should have to pay an income tax. That's the way I think it should be. Although I don't blame anyone for not paying if they're taking advantage of the laws. Um, and when I, you know, had a, when I was younger and I had a, uh, I wasn't making much of a salary, I, I didn't pay much in the way of income taxes. And I, and I was happy about that. Got most of my, most if not all my money back at the end of the year. And I was perfectly happy. And never once did I consider, you know, sending the IRS half of my tax return, just saying, hey, you know, here you go, guys. This is a thank you for being such swell chaps. I never considered doing that one time. Not one time did I ever think about it. Uh, Second, you know, related to this, we're told to give to Caesar what is Caesar's. But what happens when Caesar claims what is not his? What happens when the government goes beyond the law and collects money that it shouldn't collect and use it in, uses it in ways that it shouldn't use it? 
like to fund Planned Parenthood. In that case, our moral duty to pay taxes is uh, diminished. And, you know, it gets kind of complicated. I don't know exactly uh, when this begins to apply, but there can come a point when we're morally obligated not to pay taxes if we can help it. Think of, um, and a lot of these taxes we pay, we don't have much of a choice. You know, they come right out of our paycheck. But, you know, think of the Germans in 1940. Their tax money was directly funding the Holocaust. So a German in 1940 who said, I'm not going to pay my taxes and I'll risk imprisonment because of it. Are we going to say as Christians that they were doing the wrong thing, that they were disobeying Jesus's command to give to Caesar what is Caesar's? No, of course not. They were, what they did was an act of incredible heroism and courage. They did the right thing, the right thing. Because Caesar is not God. So Caesar can claim certain things uh, given the fact that he has a certain authority because he is Caesar. But Caesar doesn't have the authority to, um, to, to take money from people and use it to wipe out 10 million uh, innocent human beings. Caesar doesn't have that authority. So that's not for, so that's not Caesar. That doesn't belong to Caesar. That's not an authority that belongs to Caesar. And of course it can reach a certain point where, uh, although we're supposed to respect and listen to governing authorities, when they get to the point where they have utterly utter with the governing authorities have utterly rejected the law, have rejected God, have rejected truth, and are now actively working in every sense to undermine those things, that's when not only can we stop paying taxes morally, but we can rise up against the government itself and violently, if necessary, dispose of it. That's Our country was founded on that notion. Our country was literally founded upon that. That's what our country is founded upon, and it's entirely in keeping with uh, Christian thought and Christian moral teaching. Now, our money, our taxes, uh, they don't fund uh, the Holocaust to the Jews. They do fund, if you want to say indirectly, but not that indirectly, they do fund the Holocaust of the unborn. So, uh, you know, where do we sit on the spectrum of, you know, our moral obligation as when compared to taxes? I don't know exactly. Um, I don't know. And I'm not recommending, certainly not quite recommending it right now that anyone try to stop paying taxes. And, um, and not that you even really could because of the way the tax system is set up, but I'm certainly not recommending that. But all I'm saying, this all speaks to, you know, when you're given the legal opportunity to forego paying a certain tax, of course, no matter what the government's spending the money on, I would say, of course, you should take advantage of it. But especially now, of course you should take advantage of it. There's not even a hesitation. And there's really no moral conversation to be had about it. It's completely moral and completely the right thing to do. Um, third, paying all the tax we can, even beyond what is legally required, is not patriotic, as liberals say. In fact, paying taxes in general is not a patriotic act. It's, a, uh, it's an obligatory act. It's a necessary evil. But it's not a patriotic act. And this is something we hear from liberals all the time. In fact, Mark Cuban tweeted it, I think, yesterday, saying um, that as, as a wealthy person, the most patriotic thing you can possibly do is pay your taxes. He said that's the most patriotic thing you can do is pay your taxes. And then there was someone, I'm trying to find this tweet from yesterday. Um, you have Jeffrey Goldberg who tweeted, 
He said, um, I actually like paying taxes. It's a pretty good way to support the military, national parks, diplomacy, space exploration, educa- education, etc. Oh, shut up, Goldberg. I like paying taxes. He's like the, you know, these liberals when it comes to tax. They're, they're like the, the annoying kid in, in, uh, in seventh grade who, you know, reminds the substitute teacher that we're supposed to have homework. Oh, you know, we're supposed to have homework. I like doing homework. I like it. No, you don't, you nerd. I like paying taxes. You don't like paying. Nobody likes paying taxes. There's nothing to like about it. Of course, you don't like it. That's like, that's masochistic. It's like, it's like saying you enjoy, uh, you know, getting a root canal. You might enjoy having clean teeth and having your dental problems taken care of. But to say you actually enjoy the root canal itself is demented. I mean, it's an utterly demented uh, thing to say. So paying taxes is not itself a patriotic act. There are many patriotic acts, ways to be a patriot, to express your love for the country. Paying taxes is not one of them. It's just something you have to do. Paying more taxes than you have to is a uh, is is really the opposite of a patriotic act. Remember, our country was founded by wealthy guys who didn't want to pay taxes. They didn't want to. Pay, they, there were too many taxes. They didn't want to pay the T tax. They felt like they were being overtaxed by the uh, British government, and that was a big reason why they rose up in in defiance and, and committed what would have been legally an act of treason. That's why they did it, in large part, was because of taxation. So to say that paying more taxes than we owe is patriotic in America, when in fact our founding fathers um, were so opposed to paying more taxes than they felt they owed that they started our country a whole other country because of it. So that's just, um, again, a demented point of view. And the fourth thing, our obligation, we do have an obligation to uh, share our wealth, help the less fortunate, help our communities. That's a moral obligation that we do have, and it's an important obligation. And I don't think the government should be involved in enforcing it, but we are called upon as Christians and just as decent human beings not to hoard all of our wealth, but to to share and to help others. And when you have someone like Donald Trump, for instance, who uh, hoards his billions and uses it to, you know, uh, to put a a gold encrusted bathroom in his private jet and so on. Yeah, you have the right to do that. I don't think the government should step in and stop you from doing it. But from a moral, certainly as a Christian, it is impossible, impossible to morally justify that. God, Jesus, Jesus did not look favorably upon the sort of rich people who, instead of giving to the poor, would build a uh, golden bathroom in their private jet. That's not, he, 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 and you'd say, well, he probably gives to the, to the poor too. And maybe he does, but all the money that was spent on the golden bathroom could have fed, you know, 50 African villages filled with starving people. And we know that that's what Jesus would call us to do, is to forego the golden bathroom and to f- help the less fortunate. So that is an absolute fact. And as Christians, we cannot deny it. And look, this is one of the, as conservatives, sometimes we like to overlook this aspect. We don't talk about it as much. But there are many passages in, in, in Scripture talking about how difficult it is for a wealthy person to get into heaven, you know, passing through the, the eye of a needle. Um, 
it's a very didn't say it's impossible and never said that all wealthy people go to hell of course but the point is our obligation to help others with our money is um so serious so severe and yet the temptation when you when you have so much material wealth the temptation is so serious and so severe to keep it all for yourself and jesus makes it very clear that if you do that then you have had your reward on earth and you're not going to be rewarded again you, you had it if you say you know I, I want my reward to be wealth and luxury then that's it then okay enjoy it while it lasts and uh and then that's it you're not, not going to get another reward after that there's a quote from uh, saint basil the great he says um when someone steals another's clothes we call them a thief should we not give the same name to one who could clothe the naked and does not the bread in your cupboard belongs to the hungry the coat unused in your closet belongs to the one who needs it the shoes rotting in your closet belong to the one who has no shoes the money which you hoard up belongs to the poor. Now, that quote sounds extreme, but it's entirely in keeping with the New Testament, with what Jesus said. And in fact, nothing really belongs to us. Everything belongs to God. Everything, you know, our, our lives, our children, our families, our spouses. And if they all belong to God, then certainly our material possessions, even more so do not belong to us. They belong to God. Now, they don't belong to the government either. Let me, let me make this clear. I'm trying to make a point here. That everything we have belongs to God ultimately. Our children belong to God. They don't, our children don't belong to the government. God has entrusted us with these things. God entrusts us with our children, with our spouses, with uh, our material possessions. God entrusts us. He, he allows it, but they're not ours. We cannot claim an ownership to any of this above God because it all comes from God, right? So then the question is, why did he entrust us with these things? God entrusts us with our children so that we can love them and raise them. We don't have the authority to not do that. When we refuse to love our children, when we don't guide them, raise them, discipline we are doing something that we really don't have the authority to do. We are claiming authority we don't have. God is, is very, very specific about this. This is why you have kids. Now do what I'm telling you to do. And it, it, because these kids belong to God, he gives them to us under certain conditions and says, here is what you are to do to care for these precious children that I have created and I have given you. So the same thing goes for... Uh, Goes for material possessions. That why Saint, that's why St. Basil says that coat, the coat in your closet you're not using, it doesn't belong to you. That's not, God didn't give you an extra coat just so you can keep it. There, there's, there's someone outside who's cold and needs it. It belongs to him. God wants, that, God wants you to give that coat to that other person. God, is now cha- God has now decided that, that that coat doesn't belong to you anymore. It belongs to him. Your only job is to go give it to him. When we, when we give to the hungry, when we, when we donate our money, we aren't really all, we're, we're giving we're putting things in their rightful place. We're just the, the, we don't deserve credit for it. We're just putting it in its rightful place. And an extra pair of shoes, you know, shoes don't belong rotting in your closet. 
they belong on the feet of a person who has no shoes. And so you go and you give your shoes to that person and you're just delivering those shoes to their rightful place according to God's will. So my point is, I believe all of that to be true. And it's a very important truth. And it is a truth that I think many times conservatives like to gloss over. And sometimes there's a, there's a, uh, a real risk and a real temptation that I think we experience to put, to make capitalism into some kind of religion and to begin to talk about our material wealth as something that really does belong to us specifically and no one else, including God. And to talk about all of our surplus wealth as something that God gave us because he wants us to have it and just keep it and hoard it. Like we actually don't have any moral obligation to give to the poor. That's all, you know, that is a, is a, is a lie. It's a heresy. We do have these obligations, but it's a really important point that God gave these things to us for us to then do what needs to be done, to deliver them to their rightful place, to take care of them as they need to be taken care of. So it's not for the government. It's not for the government to do. It's for us to do. Just like God gave us our children, that doesn't mean that we have the authority to abuse our children because they're not ours, they're God's. But when I say they're not ours, they're God's, it doesn't mean that they belong to the government. If they belong to us first, and then the government is like the last line of defense in case a child is being severely, seriously abused, in which case, of course, he has to be taken out of the home. When it comes to our material possessions, the government has a limited responsibility, a limited authority and power, as described in the Constitution, to um, take some of what's ours and use it for some very specific things that are also outlined in the Constitution. It has that limited authority. It does not have this overarching authority to claim ownership over everything that's ours and to just start distributing it, redistributing it here and there. That's for us to do as human beings and as Christians. And while, you know, conservative Christians can sometimes err on the side of making capitalism into religion, thinking that their material possessions really are, really are um, theirs, like they own them and, 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 and like we have no obligation or responsibility beyond that. On the other end of it, liberal Christians think that the entire responsibility and uh, obligation to give to the poor and everything else it can be can be pawned off on the government and the government just takes care of all that. And so we can just sit back and the government will come in, take what it wants, distribute it. And we have no obligation beyond that. So the government is basically, you know, God, the government stands in for God in that case. And that's the way liberal Christians look at the government. Which is why, although I think some conservatives can be tempted towards these, you know, kind of prosperity gospel type of things I'm talking about. When it comes down to it, still, conservative Christians are much, 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 much more likely to give to charity. Because while they say, you know, this money is mine, it's not the government's, they are more likely to understand that because it's theirs, entrusted to them by God, it means that they have certain responsibilities that come with it, like giving to the poor. And the last thing I'll say is, and you know, this is a really important point that I try to make all the time. 
when we talk about welfare and everything else, uh, government redistribution programs. You know, it, it's we were never told by Jesus to treat poverty like a disease or like something that needs to be systematically eradicated. Jesus never said, Jesus never said, uh, you know, try to get rid of poverty, try to come up with a government program to treat poverty like a disease and cure it. In fact, he says the opposite. He says the poor will always be with you. You're always going to have poor people. You know, it's just a fact of life. And he goes beyond that and says, blessed are the poor. So on one hand, he's telling us to give to the poor, but he, but he never says, um, try to get rid of poverty. He's just saying poverty exists. It will always exist. There are people who have, uh, who need what you have and you should give it to them. So what does that mean? When he, when he, when, when, you know, when Jesus tells us give to the poor, but at the same time, he tells us that the poor are always going to be with us. And in fact, it's good to be poor. Blessed are the poor. Uh, what does that mean? Why is he telling us to give to the poor in that case? If, if blessed are the poor, you know, aren't we just creating extra temptations in their lives? Well, I think the answer to that, and this is why I don't think that, you know, Jesus is endorsing welfare programs and government and these impersonalized kind of government programs to try to cure poverty. The reason is that, um, you know, the, the main purpose in us giving to the poor, the main reason why we're called to do it is not because of the material wealth, the material possessions that are being transferred from one hand to another. I mean, that is important from a practical standpoint. And if somebody is freezing outside in the cold in the winter and they don't have a jacket, you got to give them a jacket so they don't freeze to death. So that's the practical application but beyond the practical there's also when you give to somebody there's the love in that action you know they 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 benefit not only from the thing that you gave them but from the love that they received from you and you also benefit from that same love it's the love in the action that's why Jesus pointed to the woman who was giving two pennies and said, you know, she, what she's doing. She, he, he highlighted her and said, look at what she's doing over these people that are giving so much more. But the people that are giving so much more, practically speaking, they're, you know, they're being more helpful because they're, they're, what they're giving can be put to better use. What she's giving the two pennies won't really do any good for anybody that doesn't it doesn't it's it, it does no good the two pennies practically speaking but there's so much love in that because she gave everything she had and there's so much love and so it's the love there whereas someone who has a million dollars and gives you know a thousand there's there's you have a million and you gave a thousand there's really no that's that's not really an act of love it's more an act of just kind of uh treating charity as a, as a business interaction as just something that you have to do and hit a certain percentage. It's not really an act of overwhelming, you know, giving of just, of just giving of yourself, but the person who gives everything they have, that's an act of, of total and complete love. So that's the point when we have all these welfare programs, these government programs, and we're giving the people and yeah, some people can in the short term benefit from, from it because of the, 
the practical because of the physical things they're being given. Although I think in the long term, there's a practical detriment because they become reliant on it. But there's no love. It becomes just this impersonalized government program. And there's no love in it whatsoever. And the love is the whole point, which is why we as individuals should keep our money and then give of it rather than having the government come and do it for us. Because when the government does it for us, then it sort of erases the entire point of the whole exercise of charity. That kind of got off track because I get, well, it's not completely off track, but that went in a direction I wasn't necessarily That's okay, though. It's always an adventure. You never know where these things are going to head. All right, that's going to do it for me. I'll talk to you guys next time. Akuche Salus. Godspeed, everybody.